Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your go-to resource for all things pipeline and revenue production in the tech sales world. Technology marketing, sales development, sales, and revenue operations have combined to create the go-to market engine fueling the success of SaaS startups and established companies alike. Each week, the Sales Development Podcast dives deeply into the strategies, tactics, people, processes, and technology that fuels the revenue machine. The Sales Development Podcast is brought to you by Tenbound. Get more free resources, insights, and intelligence today at tenbound.com. And be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I'm David Delaney, your host, and I'm joined today by Eric Boggs, who runs RevBoss. And we go way back. Eric, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. I mean, this is a hot topic. Obviously, in the sales development world, marketing, sales, beyond, how do you drive predictable pipeline and predictable revenue for your company? And one of the big aspects of that that comes up a lot is working with companies like RevBoss to be able to augment or even replace your sales development program. Eric, first of all, I want to know, how did you get into this role? And then what problem does RevBoss solve? I ask myself all the time, how did I get <laughs> to this role? I kid, I've spent my whole career in sales. My first job when I graduated from undergrad at the University of North Carolina, I was selling my services to install printers and Blackberries and home networks at the business school professors' houses. I didn't realize it, but it's like, oh, I know some things about technology, but I'm really a salesperson. And so that's kind of what set me on the path. And I've been selling marketing SaaS basically my professional life. I was early at a company called Bronto way back in the day, started another software company, and then started the thing that became RevBoss. And ultimately what put me on this path is I had a period of time for about 18 months where I was just a hired gun consultant, worked with a lot of software companies and marketing agencies, and took on a gig as a fractional VP of business development for a pretty sizable agency about 120 people, really good firm, really good clients. And they didn't really have a biz dev department. And I was flabbergasted that they had built the business that they had built without a sales organization. And I basically started down that path of, well, how do we take teams that don't have sales organizations and help them build sales organizations? And that led to an organization that I made up the name for, RevBoss. And over time, that consulting company has turned into this thing that we are today, which is outbound. We're an outbound agency. We do email, we do display ads, we help our customers fill their sales pipeline. You described it well yourself. Sometimes for some of our customers, we are their marketing spend. And for a lot of our customers, they've got an army of BDRs, one of which is RevBoss. We can plug in to solve the pipeline production predictability problem for different customers in different ways. Got it. And how do they come to you usually if you're not going outbound, obviously, to get customers? What problems do they usually bring to you that you're trying to solve? A lot of our clients are these awkward adolescent types where it's maybe 25 to 50 employees where it's like, we know enough to know we have something, but we don't have this thing fully figured out and fully built out. And outbound might be new or outbound might be something that's working, but not working that well. And so frequently, the problem is, hey, we just need more help. We need people that know what they're doing. Can you please help us scale this, make it more predictable, 
it's people that are already doing what we do and we get plugged in to bring more software and experience to that situation. Other times we're working with early stage SaaS companies or David's 20 person PR firm where you run the agency and you also do all the selling where there are no resources and the problem is a lot more immediate. We're living hand to mouth. We need leads in our pipeline. We need opportunities. Can you please help us? It's always some flavor of the pipeline problem, but the context really matters. And some of our clients like really know what they're doing and we just get plugged in as an expert to kind of drive the process forward. And other times we're building from zero and it's fun either way we go about it. And we certainly love our clients no matter how they come to us. Okay. And let's go with the starting out example. If they come to you and they go, we've got a pipeline problem and we need more pipeline. You're the expert. Can you help us? I could see that going sideways in a lot of different ways. If they don't have product market fit or they haven't really established a solution for the market that's reacting and they want you to come in and figure that out for them, where do you start to understand, is it possible to create a predictable pipeline with this company? You framed it up really nicely. The place we always start is just radical honesty with, look, you're a eight-person tech company. You have a couple customers, but there's a lot that you don't know, and there's a lot that we don't know. And so just setting reasonable expectations for the likely success that we may or may not have is really how we start every relationship, is just being aggressively honest. Our industry has a bad rep, over-promising and under-delivering and not always being a great partner. And so that's sort of the first place that we would start with any like early stage tech company. We're pretty aggressively prescriptive with how we work with these customers. It's basically a three-step process. You have to sell yourself. If you're an early stage software company and you don't have a boatload of funding, you don't have a boatload of customers, but you have an idea and some heart, you need to sell the story. And in most cases, the story is the founder of the business. You have to sell your personal story first. You need to have those conversations to understand if you're even going down the right path. The next step is, hey, I'd love to get your feedback on what we're building. And you can ask that question in dozens of different ways, but I actually have something. I don't want to sell you anything. I just want to hear what you're thinking. And you'd be surprised at how that can open doors and how you can turn those conversations into relationships that you can turn into customers over time. And if you can make it through those two steps, the third step is often includes a sales rep. That's, hey, we actually have something that we want to sell. Far too often, we get early stage founders, they just want to skip all the way to step three, which is like, I need pipeline and I want to sell things right now. It's like, well, you don't know what you have. You don't know the problem and you don't know who your audience is. And very frequently, a customer will come to us with very clear vision that it's like, it's category A over here. And it turns out it's actually category F where they're going to get the initial traction. And you just kind of have to go through that process to get there. Mm -hmm. If they follow the pattern that you're putting, and then you feel pretty confident that you have enough information to be able to go outbound, then how long do you give it until you figure out, okay, we do have a repeatable message and we're starting to get some traction or this is just not working? Each of those sort of steps is probably a 60, 90 day process. And plenty of customers come to us somewhere in the middle. They have something, they've sold some things, but they're maybe not as far along or they're maybe not as early stage. We ask our clients to work with us for six months. 
And overwhelmingly, we get agreements for six months. And after that, we generally do month to month because we trust what we do and how we work. What we like to make sure our clients try to understand is that at the end of six months, you might not be sitting on a pile of closed deals. You might be sitting on some discoveries, some new visibility into the problem or the opportunity that you didn't think that you had. And a lot of time that translates into opportunity and pipeline and things that are early indicators of revenue. But it's not always the case that like six months are up and I've got six or eight deals in the bag, particularly with early stage companies. They don't know what they don't know. And it seems like the disconnect that you see a lot out there is they want like instant microwave Pop-Tart results. Well, we all, man. I love Pop-Tarts. <laughs> no, and I'm not dissing Pop-Tarts. I'm just saying, <laughs> I think you nailed it in that they come with the wrong expectations and there's a lot yeah. more work that you have to do. That gets to my earlier comment about starting with honesty. Ask me how I've learned that lesson. Like we've been in this business for a while now and certainly had a period of time where we were the overpromising lead gen partner, demand gen partner, and the world is littered with them. And we try not to work with those customers. And if a customer came in today as like, I want a hundred leads in November, we'd say, well, you know, good luck. That's not us. We don't work that way. We don't skip steps. We don't take on the work that we don't think that we can deliver. An early stage founder coming on wanting microwave results, which we can do and have done if it's a category we know a lot or we've had experience. We frequently have that, but we don't promise it. And we say, look, we know what works. We do this for 200 clients right now and lots more in the past and hopefully many, many more in the future. We know what success looks like and it's this process. And if you want promises to the moon, ROI and explosive rocket ship growth, we can do that, but we're not going to sell you that. We're going to sell you a process, a partnership and honesty. And you need to be willing to do things the way we do them and it'll work. I might take time, might not work on your schedule, but it'll work. And do they ever come back and say, look, I don't have six months. That's ridiculous. Like, why is it going to take so long? You might work on this for six months and nothing comes out the back end. Is that ever a response? Yeah. So I don't have six months is, you know, fine. There are plenty of other places that will happily take your money. Call <laughs> us if it can be helpful. Like, but it's just not a fit for us. And that's okay. Like we very frequently turn down opportunities if the fit's not right. I mean, that's a lose-lose, right? If we want to do it a certain way that we know will work and the client has a different set of expectations that we don't think we can meet, then we're just not going to do it. We do have clients come back around. We have clients that will ref boss for a while, bring it in-house or turn us off and then email us three months later, six months later and turn us back on. And that's affirming when that happens. I think the like underlying current with all of this is at a surface level, what we do is very easy. You get some data, you send some emails, you show some ads and the copy is good and the creative is good. And some percentage of those people open, reply and respond. The reality of it is it is wildly complicated. And to get juice from the squeeze, it's a lot harder than it was 18 months ago, five years ago, just because the space is noisy, marketers are easily distracted. So it's hard and it's hard and it's getting harder. And I think that's an opportunity for us and for companies that can find success in the outbound channel. If you can win, then you know you really got something. I mean, you get it. You get prospecting emails. I get prospecting emails. The signal to noise ratio is all kinds of out of whack. If we can get a client in the door 
and sell them on the idea of how we operate and then get them producing, we know we got them because it's hard to get somebody there. Yeah. Then you've got 200 clients and you've been in business for a long time. So that's saying something because yeah, it's the barrier to entry in the business is very low, but the staying power and especially having happy clients who come back and tell their friends is huge. Yeah. I mean, for us, the real pain getting from zero clients to 25 clients isn't that hard. Smart people and spreadsheets and Zapier and Airtable can go a long way, but the technology investment it takes to serve clients at the scale that we serve them, we've been building a lot of software. <laughs> and that's what's hard. And like when I look back on what we've built and what we're building, that's like what I'm frankly most proud of is that we can do what we do and provide a consistent experience for our customers at the scale that we do. And a lot of that is software engineering and product development, as opposed to just marketing agency, elbow grease. And you run into the big misconception about sales development is, oh, it's entry level and you just get some college grads who are smart and hungry and played AAA sports or whatever and plug them in and you're good to go. That's problem solved. Next. And as you mentioned, it is a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, that kind of can still work. There are still brute force categories. We had a client for a long time, some really friendly folks that like a sharp team, and they eventually turned us off because cold calling just worked. Like it worked better than what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And it's unique product, niche category is like, actually, yeah, that actually makes sense. Those people are going to answer their phone. But for the vast majority of the market, it's complicated. And you can't just like hire a bunch of X division two college athletes throw them a phone book and an email inbox and say, go for it because it just doesn't work. Now, you wouldn't believe how many people do that. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you hear it every day. And that's a good segue in. Now let's talk about when they have a team that's in place, the team's doing okay, It's or maybe not. And then they reach out to you and they go, hey, we're looking at our forecast and we're not going to hit our pipeline number. Can you help me out? Where do you start with that? Before answering your question, I do want to make one caveat. One of our BDRs, Eli, is a division one running back and he's doing a great job. Okay. So it can work. No, yeah, exactly. It can work. <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, I don't want to be honest. The people, the processes, and the technology, you got to have all three and you got to have great people. And so I'm sure that Eli is a great guy, but without the process. I just don't want him to watch this or hear this and be like, what the heck, bro? <laughs> no, dude, you're good. To answer your question, Our clients that have existing teams, that's where most of our SaaS customers are. They're the ones that there's a CMO or a VP of marketing. And it's you like with the SaaS teams, it's usually marketing that brings us in. And they've got a team. And frequently it's like, we want to do this, but my team is like spread so thin. I've got the budget, but I don't have the manpower. Or I've got my BDRs focused on what I know works. I want to try some things, but I don't want to peel someone off of emotion or a segment that's producing. And I want RevBoss to be the expeditionary force to go see if this new product will work or if this new market will work or Australia and England are uh, opportunities for us. And so frequently we'll get brought in to those categories where we really love to be in marketing teams is tied into their events calendar. If you know you're going to be doing 12 to 18 field sales events in Silicon Valley, Seattle, Las Vegas, et cetera, over the next six or 12 months, that's another place where an outsource provider 
not just RefBoss, but a lot of businesses can get plugged in as a partner and really make hay. It's a simple set of plays that have to be tightly integrated into a broader strategy in your technology stack as the customer. But that's another area where we get plugged in and see really good results. That makes sense. And what about the tribal knowledge? Like one advantage of building the SDR team in-house is that they're around the water cooler and they get to know each other. They have that connection to the company. How do you support that? Or is it just a completely different set of motions happening that's not really integrating with their internal team? Both. (laughs) We have clients where the check-in call would be like the buyer slash champion decision maker plus like four SDRs. We're working directly with the SDRs and it's like, hey, we generated these three this week. How are they moving? For you, we generated these four this week. For you, we generated one. And so like we're often partnered directly with the SDR. And in other cases, like we just kind of operate in a vacuum, which is also fine as long as we're getting what we need from whoever we work with on a direct basis. We try not to get too caught up in sort of the deep tribal knowledge, unique visibility in in speaking with our clients. When we onboard a new client, they'll frequently want to send us everything they have. And it's like, well, that's helpful. And congratulations on having all that. But really, all we need is like a really good two sentences. We need a story. And we have very little real estate to deliver a story. And we just have to boil that down to the story. And then replicating that story, adjusting it based on title or vertical, up and down across the org chart. What we uncover is valuable and useful, but it's different from what the SDR uncovers when she's having six or 12 or 25 customer interactions a week. What they're uncovering is a lot deeper versus what we're uncovering is a lot more sort of market insight. What message is moving what title inside of what types of companies so that we can obviously direct our efforts, but also direct the efforts of whoever it is that we might be working with. Got it. And the manager of that, if it's like a marketing manager who's working with you, they might have a whole set of reports that they're using to monitor the outcomes of the SDR team. But then you have another whole set of reports that you use in your process. Are they always separate in how they monitor this and intelligence or do they integrate? We integrate pretty comprehensively with Zapier, which means we integrate with everything. We push and pull data out of our customers' technology. And a marketing manager would see pretty clear-cut attribution in their CRM that, oh, this is a RevBoss lead. We even built like a looker that when new entries get added to your CRM, if it matches an email address or a domain that we contacted inside of some period of time at RevBoss, we'll even trigger an email to our client saying, hey, I see that you added David at 10bound.com as a lead. Just so you know, we emailed him last week. We've even built kind of our own like attribution monitor to make sure that we get credit, obviously, but our customers want to know that too, because it's complicated. How many marketing interactions do you have before you convert? A lot. And so anything that we can do to kind of help close the loop on that, we will do. But yeah, we also have like a RevBoss dashboard that has all the things that our clients that a client would want to do. It's just very surface level. It's tied exclusively to the, the interaction that we have. And our clients make use of taking that deeper. I know our team tries to help our clients interpret the data that we're uncovering. But yeah, I guess the answer to your question is it's frequently 
integrated, but by design, it's separate because it's kind of a different set of motions and a different data set. That makes sense. And a few themes, the thing about the story, it just having this, like if they come to you and they've got this huge playbook that they've been working on for five years and they've got everything all documented and they go here, all you really need is a story and a couple of sentences and you've got the whole infrastructure to be able to plug in. That's really interesting in that, do we really need all the other stuff? (laughs) For our purposes, yeah, we don't. It takes that amount of work to arrive at that unique insight. You can't just like manifest it. Sometimes you can, but if you do the work to generate the 10-page positioning document, often what comes out of that is the right two sentences. But yeah, it's really hard. And frankly, it's the most important thing that we do or that anyone that is sending like a prospecting email or outbound email or a cold call or anything, a display ad, the story is all of it. Being present is certainly a part of it, but being present with bad copy or a bad story is just, it's not worth it. And showing up with something interesting to say that's buyer centric, that's story driven is where all the success comes from in our experience. At least that's the way we operate. That is really interesting. So just going back to the startup that has a product and they're starting to get traction and they come to you and say, we need more pipeline. And you take them through the founder story. What would be an example? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but like... No, yeah. Do you have an example of we saw this problem and we solved it and this X came out of it. And so that's why you should be interested in talking to me. Yeah. A lot of times it is a good example. I don't think these guys are currently a client, but it's some folks that we know well. They have like a sleep app Mm -hmm. and they started with high performance athletes, like the Alabama Crimson Tide football team or the New York Mm -hmm. Jets. That's interesting. And they're selling into sales teams and consultants, investment bankers, like people that are like, oh yeah, I'm the NFL quarterback of finance. The whole idea was, look, we built this for the University of Alabama football team and the Clemson Tiger football team, but we're taking it to market for investment banking organizations. Does this sound interesting? Heck yeah, brother. We see ourselves as that type of organization. And that's a really good example of a non-obvious messaging translation that doesn't say anything about like, we help your team get more sleep, which makes it more productive. It's like, no, we're, we're positing this idea, the Clemson Tigers, it's going to be good enough for you. So that's a good example. Another one that we frequently go to is before I started RevBoss, I did this. And often what you did before is way more interesting than what you're doing now. (laughs) And it's what you did before that led you to what you're doing now. During my time on the Obama campaign, I learned that this, and that's why I started Blah. That is a very frequent framework that we take our early stage founders through. And even like salespeople inside of established companies, like people buy from people. And when we talk about story, it's rarely the 100-person SaaS company that has the interesting story. It's you, the person that has the interesting story, or me, the person that has the interesting story. And not just that, but like coaching our team and our clients to use personalization that's not like, where are you based, David? In San Francisco. Yeah. So you're in San Francisco. So the dopey AI personalization would be like, I see that you're in San Francisco. Go 49ers. Are you a Giants fan? The way we would frame it is I was in San Francisco in 2008 
and met Craig from Craigslist at a coffee shop off of whatever street I can't remember. That is my story that makes me more interesting as it relates to you versus some surface level thing that I can uncover about you with just like looking at your LinkedIn profile. The same thing is like I get emails that say, go Tar Heels, right? Because I went to Carolina and it's on my LinkedIn profile. And it's like, okay, well, sure. That's cheap and easy. And you got to find the next level to break through the noise. What's the story? That's interesting to think about. So I think a takeaway for everybody is what's the story that you're bringing in to your messaging? And is it person to person versus this corporate story that yes. kind of puts people... You said it very well. Person to person yeah. versus corporate. And you can take... All you need is that and a couple of sentences and you're good to go. That's the ref boss recipe. I hate to say that it's like that simple because it's not. It's hard to do that well. It's hard to do that at scale. Yeah. But that is the recipe. Oh, yeah. Any of this stuff is very simple to talk about and conceptualize. But when you sit down to do it, it's really yeah. hard. That's oh, yeah. why you make the big bucks. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Not to go off on a tangent, but it's like the instant gratification social media that all you have to do is make 1,000 cold calls today and you'll hit your number. That may or may not be true, but it's in the context of what you're dealing with. It's sort of like a sugar high to get these little tidbits. It of- is. And it's very much fundamental to my identity as a leader and our identity as a partner with our clients is that, yeah, there's a lot of sugar highs out there that are easy to buy and easy to see. And yeah, it's sort of like my evangelical mission at this point to talk about like, it's hard. Marketing is hard. And sometimes it can be magic and easy, but not usually. Usually it's just a grind that you got to figure out. And there's results on the other side of it if you do it the right way. But yeah, you said it the best, man. So there's so much like sugar high. So many people slanging sugar highs when they should be selling ditch digging and hard work because that's what it really is. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because a guy named Gino Wickman wrote a book called Entrepreneurial Leap. And it's essentially trying to convince you not to become an entrepreneur. Like that's the whole book. It was a sort of a reaction to the TikTok generation of work two hours a day and you get a Lambo and you're flying all over the world. It ain't like that, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Trust Eric. But anyways, last question. This is totally off topic, but there's a lot of companies in your space that we work with. They're almost sort of a quasi recruiting agency and they're a talent pipeline where they find the people, they put them in, they train them, they have agency clients that they're creating pipeline for. And then you could potentially, it's almost like adopted SDR. What do you think about that model? And is that something that you offer at RevBoss? Yeah, definitely know some folks that do that. We very purposefully don't pick up the phone. We do only email, only display. We'll do some ad hoc LinkedIn things for some clients, if the use case makes sense. We've never really gotten into that business. I can't really speak to it with a lot of experience or sort of firsthand. Outside of like, I made a billion cold calls earlier in my career and know plenty of people that run that business. I do know that we have hired folks that came out of those programs, not directly, like they came out of that program, they went somewhere else and then eventually found their way to us. And if I were going to hire 
if I were a product-driven founder or someone that's maybe not as savvy at selling, I would 100% hire from those places, my first batch of BDRs, because they'll come in with some foundational experience and knowledge about how to do the job. And that will de-risk the management risk for you. If you're the founder that's recruiting and leading those people, you at least know they kind of know how to do the job and you don't have to teach them everything versus recruiting the athlete, like the hard charging athlete. They're asking you what to do. Yeah. Like maybe they got the attitude and the attitude and the hustle, but like, if you've never done it yourself, you can't teach someone else really how to do it. And a lot of these shops that their whole idea is like, we bring in a class of people, they work for us for three months or six months, and then we farm them out as a recruiting agency. Yeah. That's probably a pretty smart place to look if you don't have a deep history of sales management. That's interesting. Okay. So I should have asked you this right at the beginning. So your program is 100% digital. What if somebody calls you and they respond to a campaign? You'll just send that to the client? Yeah. Everything is on behalf of a client. If somebody sees a phone number and calls it, they're not going to see a rep boss phone number. They're going to see a client phone number. It goes straight in. Okay. You know, a client has an account manager and they talk to that account manager, but that account manager is architecting an email and display ad account-based program on their behalf. That makes us a great fit for a lot of clients and not a fit for others. And that's fine. Right. As we all do, you know, there's the, this is going to date me, but there's the taste great, less filling debate that's constantly happening on LinkedIn of you got to make cold calls. Cold calls are where it's at. And if you don't make a cold call, you're a big wuss. And then there's the more digital, do everything online and stuff like that. I think I know the answer, but where do you land on that debate? I am welcoming and inclusive anything that moves the needle. We certainly have clients where we are basically email. What we do is kind of the artillery to soften the defenses. We'll get leads out of what we do. And then if a prospect opens but doesn't respond, we'll zap it to some CRM or some workflow where some SDR picks up a phone and calls them. We love integrating with clients in those categories. Most of our clients don't. Most of our clients are much more on the like digital in part because they work with us and they kind of bought what we sell and bought how we operate. For me, what got RevBoss down that path really was kind of path of least resistance. It's really hard really hard to build a cold calling organization for your own product, let alone a cold calling organization for dozens or hundreds of client products. My deeply strategic reason for not going down that path is I'm lazy (laughs) and wanted to build something that we could just build software to automate and scale. I love it. (laughs) That's how you get the path of least resistance is you give it to the laziest person and see how they do it. And if they get good results, then you've got a great process. Yeah. It's all about the results that you're producing for your clients. And obviously this is your path and they're happy. This is so interesting, Eric. If folks would like to learn more about this, I just want to make a quick plug. RevBoss has a listing on the 10-bound sales technology directory. I don't think it's claimed or there's not much going on there. So I won't send people there. I'll put a link in there so you can fill it out and make sure that- I will claim it. Yeah. Represented. I'll, there you go. I will sign in and claim it. I actually looked at your website. I was like, oh, there we are. Yeah. And I saw it on the market map too. I was like, oh, look at us. How wonderful. It's a mess. We got to make sure that you're well represented there. But in the meantime, 
I think probably they shouldn't call you. Should they email you? And how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, we're at refboss.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find. You can check our reviews on G2 if you want to kind of see what other people say about us, but it's mostly good. Yeah, don't go there. That's generic. Go to 10 Bound, leave a review. (laughs) No, sorry. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us. I think this has definitely been eye-opening for me to learn about how you help your clients and it's great for the community. So thank you. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it. I enjoy talking about these things and holler if we can be helpful. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.